It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hey, guys, and welcome to the semifinal edition of the Fantasy Points XFL Breakdown. It's playoff time. I'm your host, Jake Tribby, and I've got Chris Wecht here by my side to help us break down every angle of the Divisional Championship XFL slate. Chris, how are you doing today, and how did your Week 10 go? I'm doing good. Coming off a uh, round one of the NFL draft where my Eagles lap in the fields with the rest of the league and uh, ready to crush some XFL. Yeah, the, uh, the Eagles now have the entire georgia defensive front from 2021 which was like the greatest <laughs> college defense ever so that's uh that's definitely pretty exciting um my week 10 for what it's worth was a roller coaster because i absolutely mm-hmm. ate it on main slate i was underweight mccarran and i played a ton of Aline, who obviously zeroed and then i won the houston showdown slate which was my first showdown bank ever so that that saved me um and yeah, some it- nice some nice momentum to carry into the uh the playoffs here i think yeah, the my week ten didn't go great either. I think that was by far the hardest slate of the season to play because we knew we yeah. had two teams that could have played starters, could have played backups, so you really couldn't do a lot there. You had, and then you had two other teams that we knew were going to try to score as many points as possible, leading them to be chalk. So you, it becomes a game of like how much chalk can you eat because you probably have to eat some because of how much they're going to score and. That's basically what played out. I mean, McCarron was, what, 35 40% owned and yep. dropped 50 points. It's going to be tough to win a GPP on those weeks unless you just – what you probably needed, like, um, Jameel from yeah. Orlando. Yeah, I was pretty very surprised at how – yeah. yeah, I was a little surprised at how popular Jameel ended up being. Like, mm-hmm. the, the number of people who I saw after the St. Louis game who had the – McCarron Butler with the Jameel run back like my yeah. mind was absolutely blown I know I was like how do you oh, yeah. land on that <laughs> yeah I'm totally cooked and especially with how I mean you know McCarron and Butler combined for 100 points so with that you know what what can you do but still plenty of money making opportunities ahead of the playoffs first game this week we got the Arlington Renegades at the Houston Roughnecks this is a Saturday 7 p.m kickoff uh, primetime game on Saturday Total here is 41 and a half. Houston's favored by six and a half. I have seen a little more juice on the Houston side. I wouldn't be surprised if they got out to seven here shortly. Um, Chris, before we get into injuries, any bets you like on this one? Uh, I'd like the under, I think. I think Houston's playing a little bit of a new game, relying on their defense a little bit more, not necessarily trying to outscore teams by scoring the most points. And Arlington... Is still very up and down despite the boost in offensive production from Perez. They're still they still could easily go out and score very little points. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I do think this total probably comes down another half point or so, um, which probably makes the under a decent bet. I can't I can't back the Houston side. I mean, I think no. I, I'd probably prefer Arlington on the spread. I don't think I'm gonna take a side on the total, but I definitely I'm with you. I'd lean under. Um, I do think Arlington's a bit of a value here. I mean, we've said time and time again, you know, the sports books are really slow to adjust to quarterback changes. And I still think Arlington's being priced as if they're, you know, Luis Perez isn't their starter and they just slightly improved in the second half of the season. True line here is probably closer to four, maybe five, I think. Um, so yeah, probably some value on the Arlington side. 
Um, getting into injuries, really not too much to worry about here. It's actually a pretty clean slate overall in terms of injuries. Uh, Victor Bolden's out. That's, you know, to be expected. He's missed four or five weeks in a row. Uh, Letty Brown missed a few practices early in the week. I believe logged a limited practice on Thursday, but he's listed probable with a knee injury. Uh, Bob Stoops said in an interview this week that they expect Letty Brown to play. So I wouldn't worry about anything there. Um, on the Houston side, there is one big piece of news to keep track of. Uh, wide receiver Michael Bandy is listed as questionable. He's been dealing with this hip injury uh, for a number of weeks. He did log some limited practices thus far. Um, so absolutely a guy to keep an eye on there. Uh, we can talk about sort of the implications of him potentially playing in a minute. But starting with the Arlington side, um, you know, it's pretty easy to sort these quarterbacks into tiers this week. I mean, obviously, you know, Danucci's quarterback one, top value of the week, highest projected um, quarterback. And then you've got Tayamu sort of in that middle tier. And then you've got guys like Silvers and obviously Luis Perez here for Arlington, who, you know, probably won't be more, at least on the two game slate, than like 10 or 15% owned. Um, at the same time, though, like these guys just don't have anywhere near the fantasy juice that the quarterbacks in the Sunday game do. Um, so Chris, what do you want to do with Luis Perez here? And then we can get into the conversation of how are we going to play Arlington wide receiver roulette? Yeah, I don't think I'm going to play much Perez. He doesn't project super well. He's not like as cheap as we've seen other low tier quarterbacks be throughout the season. Uh, you can get, you can, if you can find an extra thousand, you can get to Te'amu who I like a good bit better. Um, so I, yeah, I don't think I'm going to play much Perez. I'd ra I do think there is some value with, if you can figure out which of his pass catchers is a good, is a good play. I think one of them will be, it's just figuring out which one my lean is for Tyler Vaughn's right now. He, you know, he gets 17 ish percent of the targets every week. He's running a good amount of the routes, but like none of their, nobody on their team really runs all of the routes other than Canelo is probably the closest. Everybody else is always in a 40 to 50% range. Um, so yeah, they're all cheap though. So they don't have to do a lot. You're not going to need, this is probably not a week where you need, you know, you're a three K guy to score 10 plus points, 15 plus points or anything like that. So I think there is some value in trying to take some shots on some of these guys. It's just tough to figure out which ones. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I, I'm going to play a little bit of Perez, uh, pretty much only based around the ownership angle there. Uh, I mean, Perez or Silvers, you're you're really just banking on the Sunday game being, uh, you know, going under the total in both of these. You know, if Teamu or Danucci gets to 30, you're you're pretty much totally cooked if you play Silvers or or Perez. So I'll have a little bit of exposure there. Probably match the field at around 10. percent Nothing. Nothing crazy, and I, I'm I'm with you. I think I think Tyler Vaughn's is the guy that I want to target. We're man about 20% higher on Vaughn's than the industry, and I, I think that's right. To me, you know, from from watching the games, I think he's pretty clearly their wide receiver one. But it's so tough when nobody outside of Sal Canelo runs more than like 50% of the routes. Mm -hmm. That said, I mean, we could definitely see route shares concentrate a little bit more this week because it's the playoffs. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Vaughn's push for a 70, maybe 80% route share. Um, beyond him, I, I also wrote up Javonta Payton, um, yeah. you know, at 3000, I think he's, he's definitely got some juice right around 50% of the routes. The targets aren't really there. I, I don't think he's had more than three targets in a game this season, but um, you know, he's 3000, like he gets you seven points on a two game slate. That's, that's probably enough. 
Yeah, and his um, route share has been on the rise too. So maybe that's yeah. a sign of something. So yeah, Be- beyond him, I mean, Rennell Hall projects okay for us. Um, it's man, it's really really thin after yeah. that. Lujuan Winningham has gotten a decent amount of red zone end zone looks. Yeah, maybe you could catch a touchdown with him. <laughs> yeah, he he gets some deep looks at, as well. Um, I'm probably more privy to him on the two game slate he's priced up a little bit in showdown 3800 um where like a guy like peyton's the minimum price um yeah realistically i think especially for showdown you can pretty much justify any of these arlington wide receivers and you know if i'm making um 10 plus lineups like i'm probably going to have exposure to four or five arlington wide receivers across those lineups because of feels like such a crapshoot, but Tyler Vaughn's is, is absolutely my favorite. Um, do any of these like more ancillary guys? I mean, Arcanado, Vanderesh, any of them stand out to you or um, you got to stick with sort of the, those top two or three? Uh, I'd throw Arcanado in that same bucket with okay. Peyton and probably, I mean, he's been, he's one of, he's been around one of the longer, we've seen times where he's gotten a lot of work. You just, you just got to get lucky that you catch the right week. Yeah, I mean it's it's so tough. We have pretty much all these guys after Vaughn's projected for between three and a half and five and a half DraftKings points. Yeah. So, like I said, I mean you can justify just about all of them in showdown for the two game slate. I'll probably just be sticking to Vaughn's, maybe some Peyton, um, but I probably won't be going too crazy there. Um, the backfield here, I think, is pretty interesting. Um, you know, Davion Smith. I, my take was that I think he goes a little overowned in the showdown slate because the showdown slate is kind of light on guys who project for more than 10 DraftKings points. Um, so I think he'll be really popular on showdown. Um, two game slate, though, I think everyone's just going to drift towards Abram Smith. I mean, why play Davion Smith or Max Borgie when for what, like 1,500 more, you can get a running back who's going to play every single snap for DC? Um, and, I mean, you can argue Davion Smith both ways. If the Arlington offense comes out flat, I mean, he's totally dust because he's entirely touchdown dependent. Right. Um, my thing is, though, like, if he's going to be 20% owned, I'm, I'm a little tempted, honestly. I mean, the touchdown equity is pretty good. He scored at least 11 and a half uh, DraftKings points in, I think, his last five games. He's also averaged 15 and a half over that stretch, which matches Abram Smith for the season-long lead. There's definitely some juice here, but, you know, Arlington needs to find the end zone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. How do you want to play Davion Smith this week? And also, any thoughts on backfield teammate Letty Brown? I think I'm going to fade Letty Brown. He's going to definitely be more popular, good bit more popular because he's uh, how cheap he is. And I think I'll have some Devion Smith, as we'll get to with the Houston side. I think I really want to take shots on this Houston backfield, which I, I don't love the idea of having a Houston back and an Arlington back. And like I said, I think there's some value in taking shots on some of these receivers. I don't want to go too crazy with this game, particularly on the Arlington side. So I'm definitely not going to get crazy with it, but I do think Devion Smith has some good leverage opportunity. I mean, we've seen Houston come out flat on both offense and defense at times, and there's you just need him to fall into the end zone. He's not crazy expensive like he used to be. So yeah, I think Smith's a little interesting. 
Yeah, not my certainly not my favorite running back, but at least for a little bit of leverage on the two game slate, I, I think you could do a lot worse. Um, Letty Brown, I mean, yeah, I pretty much wrote him up exactly what you said. I, I think I, I like showdown. I mean, he's fine. I, I don't really have a strong take there. His, his price is fine. I'll, I'll play a decent bit. Two game slate, though. I mean, I like uh, as things stand right now, I like both TJ Hammonds and Bryson Aline more than I like Letty Brown as salary relief. And I mean, prices got a little condensed this week. So I was, you know, I was thinking about it. I was playing around with some builds. I think like Danucci, Abram Smith, and then like one of the expensive Seattle guys, Josh Gordon, Blake Jackson, Jacor Pearson will be like the most common sort of base build that people start with. And then obviously you need a little salary relief there. seems like Letty Brown's going to be some of the most popular salary relief on the slate. Um, I mean, his floor is solid. He's getting, you know, 40% mm-hmm. of the snaps and one of the more valuable backfields in the XFL. His problem, though, is that like he has no ceiling in the healthy games he's played with or the games he's played with a healthy Davion Smith. Um, I think like three total games there hasn't exceeded, um, you know, double digit uh, DraftKings points in any of those games. He's averaging two red zone touches per game with a healthy Davion Smith, which is like pretty respectable. That's fourth among playoff running backs. But he has zero inside the five touches and just one inside the 10 touch. Um, in those games with a healthy Davion Smith, like the goal line role just isn't going to be there. You need him to score a touchdown from like probably 15 plus yards out um, to really like get there for you. I don't think I full fade him on the two game slate, but if he's going to be like 35% owned, I'm I'm probably going to be way underweight. Um, I might only play 15%, something around there. Um, yeah, Chris, any, any thoughts on this uh, Arlington backfield before we move on? I think you covered it. Yeah, take a shot on one of the Arlington receivers. They might give you a zero, but they also might give you 15, which I just – I don't know if Letty Brown can even get you 15. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, Tyler Vaughn's versus Letty Brown. Like, I'd much prefer right. Vaughn's. Like, yeah, I, I really don't have much hope for Letty um, having much of a ceiling. I mean, in, like, you know, single-entry, smaller field stuff on the two-game slate. Yeah, I'm sure. He's, yeah. yeah, he's fine. I mean, he, he projects well for us. He projects well industry-wide. Like, the floor's, the floor's really good. Um, especially among like sub 5k guys, he might have the best floor. Um, yeah, there was, so there was another guy that I actually wanted to mention. Um, this is our first kicker talk since <laughs> we started the show. Um, but for the showdown slate, I actually like uh, Taylor Russolino as a play. He's the minimum price. And, you know, you look at the the min price range for the Arlington showdown slate. It's like Javonta Payton and then Michael Bandy, I think is 1200. And then it's like everyone else is like pretty much completely dust. Um, Russolino is tied for the league lead in field goal attempts. He's missed just once from inside of 40 yards and he's two for three uh, from 50 or more yards Uh, last week. I mean, we saw, you know, the Arlington offense move the ball a little bit, but often got shut down, especially once they got on Houston side of the field. Uh, Russolino scored 11 DraftKings points, you know, at the minimum price, that's, that's pretty dang good. I think he's got, you know, a pretty solid floor here. Um, and yeah, I'd consider him a, a, a pretty solid play overall for the showdown slate. Obviously, we don't do um, kicker projections, but I think if we did, he would probably be the, the highest projected minimum price player by a solid point or two um, on the slate. Uh, yeah, Chris, any any thoughts on like Russelino as a showdown player? Any other like ancillary showdown plays you want to mention before we move on to our second game here? I would definitely like kickers and defenses in this oh, game. Yeah. Um, don't go crazy, you know. Don't have all four in the in your lineup, but I think you 
I'd find it hard to believe that not at least one of the four, probably even two of the four of the kicker defenses options will be will end up being in the optimal lineup. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I, I think the you know, playing both defenses on a lot of builds is is pretty sharp. I mean, when we had Justin Freeman on um, you know, a little over a month ago. He sort of noted that, you know, these defenses are going under-owned across the board. And I think especially in games like this, um, you're going to want to target those defenses. And, like, the other thing is, too, don't be afraid to leave a decent chunk of salary on the table. I mean, at least in this game. In Seattle, D.C., I, I don't think I'm going to be going that route for the most part. Um, but in this game, I mean, you know, you land on a couple defenses plus Russelino and then just play, like, the three highest projected players. You're probably leaving, like, twelve or 15000 on the table. But that's not necessarily a bad team by any means. Yep. Um, so yeah, defenses have a lot of juice. Uh, I definitely prefer Russelino to the Houston kicker just because his stats are better. He seems to be a, a better kicker. He actually, I mean, especially with kickers, you sort of need the range there and they seem willing to trot him out from, from 50 plus, but both guys are legitimately in play. Um, the only other guy that I wanted to, to mention here. Oh, well, um, actually we should, oh no, that's, that's for the Houston side. Um, yeah, so let's get into the Houston side here. Um, I wrote up Brandon Silvers as a pretty decent play. I think if you assume him and Perez are both in that 10 to 15% range, my preference is Silvers, but I know that we sort of have a bit of a lean on how we think these Houston offensive tendencies will go. Um, Chris, what are your thoughts on like Silvers versus Perez before we get into, uh, the deeper offensive discussion? Uh, it's a tough one. I, I think I would lean Perez. I, I still think silver's ceiling is just capped. Yeah. We, we've, we've just, I think we've seen it once all season, whether it's because they run the ball more or whether it's McDonald gets the red zone work. He just doesn't seem to be able to, to get the ceiling that some of these other quarterbacks can, can have. And if I if I had to pick between the two, I'd rather take my shot on Perez because I know he'll get all the passing work and maybe he rushes a little bit as well, which Silver's just isn't going to do. Yeah, I'm I'm like a soft disagree there. I think I I prefer Silver's, but I mean, yeah, you can you can pretty easily justify either guy. I mean, I I think what it comes down to for me is that like I'm sort of. I guess, closer to the Vegas lines in terms of how I anticipate scoring playing out. Like I just don't, you know, Arlington's averaged 11 and a half points per game in their two games yeah. against Houston. Obviously you can make the argument. They were a totally different team in week two in week 10. Um, you know, they weren't showing much, but I, I don't know. Part of me just feels like Houston has um, Arlington's number. Although for what it's worth, um, Arlington may have a little more juice this week than they did last week because pass 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 rusher, Tim Ward, uh, is out with a shoulder issue. He came back last week, first time in like a month. He's one of the best pass rushers in the XFL and then ends up missing this week after getting like 20 snaps in week 10. So that's a little disappointing for Houston, but I mean, their defense is still still really, really good. And yeah, it's hard to anticipate a lot of scoring from Arlington. Um, the more interesting discussion though, I think is around Houston's broader offensive tendencies. Um, you know, early in the season, first five or so weeks, we we're talking about how, oh, yeah, they're right there with Seattle and pass rate. They were leading the league in neutral situation pass rate. Um, but, you know, since Brandon Silver's hurt his shoulder in week five, since week five, uh, or I should say since week seven, especially, um, they've been really run heavy. 54% pass rate 
since week seven. That's the third lowest among all teams. And they're averaging a league leading 120 rushing yards per game, eclipsing 140 yards in three of their last four games. Um, keep in mind in their first six games, their pass rate was 65% and they were averaging just 79 rushing yards per game. So that's like, what, a 40% boost in rushing production? Um, digging a little deeper there, uh, they've been super aggressive running the ball in the red zone. Only a 30% red zone pass rate compared to their first six games where that number was around 40%. Uh, even DC season long is throwing the ball at a 43% rate in the red zone. So this is like a crazy run heavy red zone offense. Um, and at least for showdown purposes, that kind of makes me lean a little bit more into a guy like Cole McDonald, obviously, you know, not in play for the two game slate by any means. Um, but I do think McDonald has a little juice for, for showdown because, you know, he's stealing these goal line carries. And I think, um, you know, as the season has gone on and especially now that we're into the playoffs, Houston's defense is, you know, right there with Seattle and Arlington for the, the best remaining, um, it feels to me like they're going to play a little more conservative, especially in a game like this where, you know, they probably have a clear talent advantage. Um, and that would offensively lend itself towards running the ball because, I mean, in the games Houston's lost, it's really just been because Brandon Silvers is chucking interceptions left and right for the most part. Um, so, yeah, Chris, let's let's talk about these running backs a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, I, I already mentioned Cole McDonald. I'm curious on your thoughts on him, too, but. With this, you know, the shift in offensive tendencies with Houston now being one of the most run-heavy teams in the XFL, um, that makes me like Max Borgie and uh, Bryson Aline quite a bit. Yeah, we're definitely on an island here when it comes to projections across the industry. It seems like most people are projecting them closer to that 60% pass rate that we've seen for most of the season, not what they've been doing recently. So yeah, this is a spot where I'm going to definitely try to push our leverage and what we think um, Houston's going to do in terms of running the ball and just playing good defense. McDonald is a great showdown play. You can play him with Silvers in showdown. I, I think that's totally fine. Um, but yeah, Borgie and Aline will probably be two of my more favorite plays of the week. When it comes to deciding between them, uh Borgie's definitely going to get more of the better looks, but he's also more expensive. I don't think I have a strong lean between the two of them of which one I like better. I probably just will depend on what the rest of my lineup looks like and what salary I can fit. Um, they're, they're probably going to be about the same amount percentage owned. Yeah, there, there's, yeah, I don't know. Do you have a, I don't have a strong lean between the two of them as much as I just like attacking the rushing attack. <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I have a hard time deciding between the two. Honestly, I mean, for the two-game slate, I, I do think you can play both guys. Um, sure. I, you know, I think that's fine. Houston scores three touchdowns. There's a chance Borgie and Aline get get all of them with how much they're running in the red yeah. zone. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really have a lean there. I, I'm kind of with you. I think they'll be similarly owned. Um, and they're both like great leverage. Like obviously Borgie is strong leverage off of Abram Smith, Aline strong leverage off of Letty Brown. So yeah, to me, I mean, they both make a lot of sense. I, I don't know. I, I think I'll just be overweight both guys. I mean, that's, that's kind of what it comes down to for me. Um, I should entertain though, the, the bearish case for these guys as much as, you know, I, I do like them and I think our, our projections are, are really on point this week. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of two ways this goes South for, for both rushers, either the Houston offense just totally sucks, which is, you know, possible. The Arlington defense is, is pretty good. And I mean, Silvers has not looked great since week five. Um, 
or, uh, you know, running back Jeremy Cox in week 10, 120 rushing yards on 20 attempts. It was one of the highest graded rushing performances by PFF of the season. Um, maybe he played well enough to get himself some snaps this week, or maybe Dejon Lee is back. Um, in which case, I, I mean, I'd only expect one of those guys between Cox and Lee to be, to be active. Um, but one of them probably will. And, you know, we've seen Dejon Lee, Houston's running back three hasn't played more than 13% of snaps since week two. So we're not worried too much about playing time, but I am moderately concerned that they could steal a goal line carry mm-hmm. and perhaps steal a touchdown. And that would be pretty devastating um, for either Aline or Borgie. At the same time, though, I think that's relatively unlikely. I mean, they deemed Aline so important to the team that they played him on two offensive snaps last week. Like, right. Borgie and Aline are the dogs in this backfield. And in the playoffs, you play your dogs. So, um, yeah. Any any final thoughts on this backfield before we get to the wide receivers here? No, I think you covered it. I, yeah, they're the only their major downside is Houston being bad or, or they just eat into each other too much. But you can kind of say that for all the running backs outside of Abram Smith. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the eating into each other is definitely a risk. The nice thing with that though, I mean, that would hurt Borgie more than Aline if it's like a true 50, 50 mm-hmm. split. Um, Aline's only 3,900. I mean, he's so cheap yep. that, um, yeah, it's like he could get there on seven or eight carries. Like it won't take much. And he's super explosive. He's been one of the most efficient running backs in the XFL. Um, Oh, one final thing I should mention on Brandon Silvers is, like I said, he's been dealing with a shoulder injury since week five. He did get week 10 off. So I think like there's a small chance like that sort of fixed him. I'm, I'm honestly not sure, um, but I, I that, that might be a worthwhile note. Um, wide receivers here were, I mean, looking at industry projections, we're pretty consistently underweight. All these guys in terms of like our projection versus. Um, industry, I'll start with the guy that I hate the most, which is pretty obviously Cedric Bird, as always. Um, I do think Cedric Bird is definitely in play for both the two-game slate and showdown uh, if Michael Bandy's inactive. If Bandy's active, though, I mean, Cedric Bird might only run a route on 50% of snaps, and I don't think you could reasonably anticipate more than three or four targets for him. Um, so, I, you know, Bandy is, like, huge. Uh, for Cedric Bird. He's listed as Cedric Bird's direct backup, and I think Bandy is just outright better than Cedric Bird. Um, So that's like one of the main things I'm going to be watching. Um, Chris, who do you like in out of these wide receivers? Because I feel like that's a more difficult conversation. (laughs) Yeah, that is difficult given the way that we're projecting this game to go. Yeah. Uh, My favorite is probably Justin Smith. He's going to be decently popular, but he's cheap enough where I don't, I just need him to catch that one home run ball and and I'm happy. And I don't think I'm getting that with Bird or Travell Harris, who also will probably be popular. Burnett has that capability to him, but he's so expensive that it just makes it hard to pull off. So yeah, Justin Smith. And then I think guys like Putnam and Salter are definitely in play for showdown. Ah, uh, I don't, I don't know. Like Putman and Salter, they're tough. I, I don't know if they get much run. Putman, I'd be moderately interested in in showdown if uh, Bandy sits. I don't think there's going to be many slot snaps for him if Bandy sits. Salter, you know, ran 100% of the routes in week 10, but I mean, Burnett sat. I, I think that's Burnett's role. I don't think I'd touch Salter in, in showdown. Um, Burnett for the two game slate, I think is pretty interesting as leverage off of some of these more expensive Seattle guys, or even some of the DC wide receivers. 
Um, because yeah, he's so expensive. Like, I mean, we're underweight on him relative to the industry, even industry wide. I mean, he just doesn't project well at all. Um, so I think you could argue for some leverage there on Burnett, but I'm kind of with you. My, my favorite guy out of the group is, is Justin Smith. Um, he'll, he'll definitely be the most popular though. I, I think, um, and I mean, even if Michael Bandy sits, I'm probably going to be underweight Cedric Bird, um, yep. you know, for the the two game slate, at least. I mean, still fine for um, for showdown. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough with these receivers, given that we're anticipating like a run heavy approach here from Houston. Another thing I should mention on the, the run heavy note was I had a tweet this week, which I thought was one of my uh, more important tweets of the season. Uh, Houston's been very run heavy against Arlington historically. Obviously, you could argue, you know, cherry pick sample given the way these last two games have gone. But I, I, I do think there's some signal there, especially given how they've played in the second half of the season. Um, yeah, man, this the Houston wide receivers are are tough. I think it it, it makes sense to sort of be pretty cautious with these guys overall. Um, yeah, Chris, any any final thoughts on these Houston pass catchers? Now we can move to the more high scoring game. All right. Yeah. A lot more fun uh, wide receiver conversations to be had here. Seattle Sea Dragons at the DC Defenders. This game is a Sunday 3 p.m. kickoff. Total here is 48 and a half. Uh, DC favored by three. Um, Chris, any bets you like? I think this line's pretty good. I Maybe there's some edge on the DC side of, or the, sorry, the Seattle side of things, but not enough for me, I don't think, to place a bet on it. I, I think it's a really good line. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty much in line. I mean, the total, I think, is like almost perfect. I'd have a slight lean to the over, but I, I, I think that's pretty correct. Uh, it's at, actually at the 49 in some spots. Um, I really like the Seattle side here for what it's worth, um, more Seattle money line than Seattle plus three, but I think both are pretty strong bets. I mean, I think Seattle is the outright better team on a neutral field. I think they'd very clearly be favored by a point or two. Uh, you know, DC does have a legit home field advantage. Um, they will be rocking at Audi stadium. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of the only wild card there. And I think that's the main reason DC is favored in this contest. Um, but I, I do really like the Seattle side. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Danucci's just been playing so well lately his, his main issue, you know, early on in the season, this, uh, was turnovers. And, um, I think last four weeks, only four turnover worthy plays, uh, as graded by PFF. So, Definitely some juice there um, on the Seattle side. Injuries, uh, DC is clean. Seattle has a couple guys to monitor. Blake Jackson was limited on Thursday uh, with a shoulder injury. Uh, I expect him to play. I, I don't think there's too much to worry about there. Damian Willis did not participate in Thursday's practice due to a shoulder injury. Damian Willis only ran like, he had like a 10% route share last week. This is definitely um, of concern for fantasy players. I think... He's like legitimately questionable, and I probably lean towards Willis sitting. Um, and that sort of leads us nicely into the Seattle side of things. I mean, like I said, with Danucci, he's been playing a lot better lately. It feels like the Seattle offense is sort of coming into their own. And I mean, you know, on the on the defensive side of the ball, Seattle's also been playing really well. Um, so, yeah, Chris, what are your thoughts on uh, Danucci this week? Because I imagine he's going to be on about half the rosters on the two-game slate. 
Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the McCarron-Danucci situation from last week. He's going to be, like you said, almost four, half the, the lineups. And if he puts up a good enough score, it could be enough to totally block out any team that doesn't have it, doesn't have him. Um, it's tough to say if I want to get half of my lineups with Danucci because I think Teamu is interesting. But, man, is it going to be – it's going to be a tough pill to swallow if you see Danucci drop 30 points and, like, all of these other QBs could realistically not cross 20, and I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, that's a tough thing is, like, Danucci's been priced down a little bit, only 11200 for the, the two-game slate. Um, and that's, you know, only 1200 more than Teamu. So – um, you don't get like a huge price edge from from going with mm-hmm. Teamu, which is, I mean, a big part of the reason we think Danucci is going to be just so popular. Um, yeah, I mean, he'll probably be on at least 35 or 40% of my teams, maybe more. I really like Teamu for what it's worth. We'll get to that discussion in a little bit. Um, I guess the trickiest part with Danucci, like the weeks of old, although pricing is a little more condensed, is that, you know, these wide receivers for Seattle are, are pretty dang expensive. Um, you know, Jacor Pearson, Josh Gordon, Blake Jackson, all priced over 8k. Um, you know, Juwan Green's now 7,100, which is a pretty tough pill to swallow. Um, you know, I think my favorite of the group is Jordan VC, especially if Damian Willis sits. Um, Willis, uh, last week, you know, like I said, 10% of the routes, VC and Gordon were both over 90%. I think VC was at like 98%. Um, really good stuff there from VC. Uh, yeah, so I think he's my favorite. I also wrote up Josh Gordon as a guy like uh, Chris. Who are you? Who are you playing in this Seattle wide receiver group? Yeah, I like VC a lot. Danucci uh, will just like throw the ball up to him downfield. So I definitely think that is a good option. Uh, Gordon, I always have a hard time playing Gordon because I think he gets popular and he he seems like he just he gets high value targets though. So probably good to mix him in as well. I like Pearson. I'm still waiting for the Blake Jackson breakout game. He's really killed me the past two weeks, but he he's the only receiver that runs every single route. Um, yeah, I'll be mixing and matching all these guys. I don't, I don't, I think you want exposure to all, all of them. Juwan Green did see a dip in routes last week. Uh, he, he was, was coming off an injury, so yeah, I thought I wonder, that could have explained it maybe. Yeah, and if that is, you know, back to normal, he's probably going to be the least popular one so he becomes probably a guy that maybe you want to be a little aggressive with and hope that it was the injury or something because if you're playing Danucci snacks you're just going to be eating a ton of ownership so you you've got to get creative somehow um otherwise you're you're not going to win first um so yeah mixing in green maybe over getting over 10 50 percent i think is not a bad idea um that's pretty much all all the notable receivers yeah i mean it's kind of nice with Willis uh, likely out because it's very condensed between those five guys. I'm with you. I think you definitely want to mix and match. You want, you know, exposure to, to pretty much everyone. Um, I, I think that was a pretty sharp take on, you know, Jawan Green potentially going under owned. I, you know, I like Blake Jackson. I mean, realistically, you can make an argument for every single one of these guys. Final thing I'll say on BC, though, um, and I think I've noted this before, you know, he's like 11th among playoff wide receivers in, in targets in the second half of the season, but he's like top five in red zone targets, mm-hmm. air yards, um, and deep targets. So like the targets he's getting is really valuable. And especially now that, you know, if Willis is out, we can pretty safely project him for like a 90% route share. I mean, that is, 
that's pretty juicy to me at, at 5,300. I also think because all these wide receivers are going to be popular. And obviously, as we said, you know, Daducci is going to be crazy popular. Um, you know, on the two game slate, I'm curious on your thoughts, but I, I think you can realistically triple stack Danucci, um, yes, with, with three wide receivers and then just go, go some salary relief, um, in the other spots. Like no one's going to play that. I think double stacks, especially on a two game slate will be, will be pretty common. Um, so yeah, getting, getting out there with, uh, with a triple or two might be, might be the move in some of the larger field stuff. Yep. I would definitely, definitely, I, I think you got a minimum double stack in, um, just because you're eating, you're going to be half the field is going to have Danucci. You 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 got to be. You need him to go nuclear or at least play well for him to really pay off for you at that ownership. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, I don't know. Maybe like a another route you could take is you could maybe try to single stack him with some of the less popular guys, like maybe like Danucci, Jawan Green, and then you know play a decent amount of DC guys, and then hope that's a fairly unique combo. Yeah. You can mix uh, the running backs in, like Hammonds in particular. I think that's another way to do it without more traditional stacking. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that sort of leads us nicely into this running back discussion. Um, it is noteworthy that Brendan Knox, he was activated off IR ahead of week 10, ended up being a healthy scratch. Um, he's back on the depth chart this week, listed as the direct backup behind Philip Lindsay. TJ Hammonds actually didn't show up listed as a running back. He showed up listed as a wide receiver, but I mean, we know he's more of a running back in the coach's eyes. Um, to me, I mean, Hammonds obviously projects pretty decent for us right now. Um, but it, this is like hit Hammonds value and like how I'm going to play this backfield comes down a lot to just is Brandon Knox uh, active because if, if Knox is active, it's going to be a super gross rotation. I'll probably be mostly off Hammonds. Lindsay is totally dust if Knox yep. is active. Um, but, you know, if Knox sits, then we're looking at the backfield we've seen these last few weeks where uh, Charlie Temo Payow is, you know, stealing about 30% of the snaps. And then you've got uh, Hammonds working in. I think Hammonds would probably be the favorite to get most of the usage and would be the guy that I'd want to play. Um, I mean, Philip Lindsay's 6,600. Industry wide, he projects pretty poorly. Um, for us, he doesn't project very well at all. Uh, we haven't projected for about five DraftKings points right now. Um, yeah, the only nice thing I can say about Lindsay is that he's gotten a, a good chunk of the red zone work. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, if Knox is back, I, I think that red zone work might, might go out the window. Um, this is, this feels like a really tough backfield to project, but I mean, on a two-game slate and for showdown, it's it's still pretty important. Uh, yeah, Chris, I'm really curious on on your thoughts here because I'm still still trying to figure this one out. If Knox is active, I'm probably pretty much off it. I could be talked into Hammonds if Knox is active and Willis is inactive because maybe they need him to run some more routes than usual or something like that. If Knox is not active, definitely like Hammonds. I think as gross as Lindsay is, he's probably a good play on this slate. Like you're not going to get many guys at sub 5% ownership that are going to get red zone looks and whatnot. Yeah, like, mul multiple touchdowns is absolutely in the range right. of outcomes if if Knox sits especially. Right. Like he I, actually I don't know if there's another guy on this slate that is going to be sub 5% and gets near the amount of potential high value touches that he could get. So definitely keep that in mind. If Knox is active, and I don't think I would mess with Lindsay then. But if he's inactive, I think you probably do want some exposure to him. 
Yeah, and I'd imagine maybe some viewers are wondering, like, oh, should I be playing Brandon Knox? He is not in the player pool, so you can. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I do think it's a pretty nuanced discussion there. Um, you know, definitely got to keep an eye on on Knox's status. But I, I do think that's a pretty sharp take, Chris. I mean, Lindsay, like, no one's going to want to play him. He just projects terribly. Like, you look at his snap share. I what was it, like, 16% last week? I mean, just really, really bad. Only, only at, like, I think, you know, 20-ish percent, 25%. Since he joined the team, um, they they clearly don't feel super comfortable with him right now. And I mean, he hasn't he hasn't played great. I think he's averaging below three yards per carry. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the red zone work is is absolutely there. And it's like you can't you know if you want to run the ball inside the five yard line and you don't have Brandon Knox, maybe the ball goes to Tim Opeo, But they don't really seem very willing to give him the ball. They mm-hmm. just want to give him snaps. Um, you're not giving it to TJ Hammonds inside the five. That's for sure. So unless maybe you're you're in two minute and you don't have time to sub. So yeah, Lindsay, Lindsay at the goal line, I think definitely has some juice um, on the two game slate. And the same could probably be said for, for showdown. He's a little more reasonably priced there at, at 6,000. Um, so I, I probably like him a little more in showdown, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is tough with the Seattle backfield. Um, I mean, Devion Smith and Letty Brown are going to both be easily over 20%, if not Letty Brown getting to close to 40 yeah, and they're projected to score. Seattle's projected to score almost a touchdown more mm-hmm. in the implied total. So and so, why not take a shot at Lindsey at sub five percent? Yeah, no, I mean, I think if you're if you're making uh, you know five plus teams, I think it makes makes a lot of sense. Um, moving on to the DC side of things, hi man, I really like Tayamu this week. Um, you know, he's sort of this nice middle between. A guy like Danucci, who we know has, you know, probably the safest floor, highest projection, and is going to be the most popular. And then we've got, you know, two quarterbacks who are both kind of like uh, in Perez and, and Silvers. Um, since week seven, Tayamu is PFF's second highest graded quarterback, averaging 28.5 DraftKings fantasy points per game over that stretch. He's only fallen below 29.9 DraftKings points just once over his last four games. And that was in week nine when De'Ara King got two full drives and scored nine DraftKings points himself. Um, so, you know, if you if you gave those points to Te'amu, he'd be averaging like 32 or 33 <laughs> over the last uh, last four weeks, which is just absolutely insane. I mean, he's looked like really good. We know, though, historically, Te'amu can be a pretty streaky guy. Um, he's my favorite quarterback play of the week, though, at, at least in tournaments. Um, you know, I if he's 25% owned in like the two game slate, I'm probably going to be notably overweight there. Uh, yeah. Chris, what, what are your thoughts on Tayamu? Cause I, I really like him in this contest. Yeah. I like him too, for all the reasons you said and the leverage you get off, not playing Abram Smith, who's probably going to get near 50% like Danucci. Cause like you said, Danucci plus Abram Smith is going to be how everybody starts their yeah. lineups. So you playing Jordan Tayamu and, Max Borgie or, or, or like I said, Philip Lindsay or something like that. You're just, you're, you're already competing only against like a handful of teams then. Uh, so definitely like Tayamu. Uh, I think stacking wise, you probably don't have to stack him, but given the small slate, it's probably just makes sense to do it. Mm, I mean, Lucky Jackson's not going to be popular. Chris Blair's not going to be popular. Josh Hammond's not going to be popular. I would lean Lucky Jackson just because we've seen how much they seem to value him and getting the ball just in his hands. And it's kind of how we've approached this DC passing attack. When they're chalky, you don't play them because it's a low pass volume offense. And when they're not chalky, take shots at them because they can break off big plays like we've seen. 
Yeah, I'm 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 with you there. I mean, I think all three of those wide receivers, Blair, Jackson, and and Hammond are are pretty solid plays when when paired with Tayamu. I'm you know in agreement. You don't you don't need to stack Tayamu because of his rushing upside, but he has been throwing really well lately. Mm-hmm. So I would lean towards stacking him. I mean, you can totally get away with double stacks too, especially given the the total this week. I mean, we could see just a ton of points from both these quarterbacks. Like, I mean, if these two quarterbacks combined for like seventy or eighty DraftKings points, I don't think anyone would be totally shocked. Um, my favorite of the trio of wide receivers is Chris Blair. I mean, it's, it's tight. I'd expect Blair to be the most popular. I think he has a chance to push for 20% ownership. Jackson and Hammond though, might be like 10%. Um, but since week six, Chris Blair has actually led the defenders in targets, receiving yards, yards per outrun, air yards and deep targets. Um, and if lucky Jackson hadn't turned five of his six red zone targets into touchdowns, then Blair would also lead DC pass catchers in fantasy points per game. So, you know, there's, there's a pretty good argument for Chris Blair, but at the same time, I mean, we've seen, you know, the target shares are, are pretty condensed across the board among all three of these guys. Um, and yeah, I, lucky Jackson's obviously, you know, pretty, pretty impressive talent. Um, uh, I really don't think you can go super wrong with, with any of them. I mean, if you're making multiple teams, you're probably just mixing and matching. Um, yeah, I for showdown though, I the conversation gets a little more interesting because we can get into some of these niche guys who I don't really think are in play for the two game slate. Um, the two guys that stood out to me who I who I wrote up, um, uh, Ethan Wolf at tight end. I you know it's really tough because we haven't really seen, especially in the second half of the season, someone emerge as like the lead DC tight end. It was Ethan Wolf to start the year. He got hurt and. I think he led the tight ends in route share last week. Um, you know, Alex Ellis and Briley Moore McKinley McKinney are all in play for showdown, but I think Ethan Wolf is my lean. Um, yeah, Chris, do you have a, like a showdown lean for these tight ends at all? Yeah, I think you're on the same thought process that I'd have. Ethan Wolf does seem like the favorite tight end. I mean, he runs, he's been running the most, almost half the routes the past two weeks. We've seen him be the lead dog earlier in the season. Yeah, that's what I would lean. I think Brandon Smith is a wide receiver. You could definitely play as well on showdown. Maybe even the four game slate. If you like, don't really don't want to play an Arlington guy. I'd probably just rather play an Arlington guy, but I think there's something there with Brandon Smith potentially. Um, yeah, they, they like him in that wide receiver four four role, uh, 40% route share over the last three weeks. Well, seeing at least two targets in each of his last four games. So like, he's not going to see like crazy volume relative to his price, but I mean, he catches a deep ball, catches a touchdown. Like he could get there. I, I don't know. It's if you're making a bunch of two game slate teams, you can, you can definitely get there. It does feel a little thin for the two game slate, but I, I like him a lot for, for showdown. Yep. Yeah, and then we have um, the DC backfield, which is like the easiest conversation ever because it's literally one man. That man, <laughs> that man is Abram Smith. Abram Smith, in his two games without Raquel Armstead, has uh, averaged a ninety-three percent snap share, seventy-eight percent route share, and has earned one hundred percent of backfield weighted opportunity. Ninety-six uh, percent of snaps last week. I mean, we just you don't see usage like this in the NFL. I mean, much less spring football. Abram Smith without Raquel Armstead is pretty easily seeing the greatest usage in spring football history. Um, at the same time, though, he's going to be crazy popular this week. He's going to be, he's like Danucci levels of popular. He's going to be on half the teams. Um, 
yeah, Chris, how do you want to play this, this backfield? Or should I say, how do you want to play Abram Smith? Yeah, this feels scary, but my thoughts, my initial thoughts are fade, fade him a little bit because basically you, we're just, we just need him not to have the nuclear game. And we yeah. have seen very few running backs have nuclear games as a whole in the XFL. Of course, Abram Smith is the one guy that has and definitely could this week. But we talked about how we like Tayamu. We talked about how we like Houston running backs. I don't really want to be building with three running backs or anything in my lineups. Yeah, I don't. I'll probably come a little bit under the field on Abram Smith. I, it's it's probably too scary to full fade him or anything like that. Yeah. But I think that's my my lean. Yeah, I'm I'm there with you. I mean, we like if I if I wasn't so bullish on the Houston guys, I'd probably just eat the chalk with with Abram Smith. But man, I mean, I think we've got a pretty good angle here with Houston likely going going run heavy, and that makes me want to lay off Abram Smith uh, a little bit there. Um, and yeah, I mean, Tayamu is nice goal line leverage. Um, and like the thing is, um, Abram Smith, while his projection industry wide is is really really strong. I mean, we've seen a, a pretty low floor last week, only mm-hmm. 5.4 uh, DraftKings points, despite playing on 96% of the snaps, um, you know, across the full season, uh, Tayamu and Derek King basically have as many inside the five and inside the 10 carries as Abram Smith does. So, and he has, you know, 1.6 targets per game. He has no receiving role. So like the floor actually is, is pretty dang low on a guy like Abram Smith. And I think if he's going to be super popular, I mean, a full fade feels really tough on a two game slate, but I think, you know, you could play 25, 25% Abram Smith, um, you know, which is probably about half of what the field's going to play. And, and I think you can feel pretty good about that um, because yeah, that floor is just, it is really low. I mean, obviously, you know, no one here would be surprised if he scored 20 DraftKings points, but um, yeah, the floor, like you look at median projections, I think it's easy to think like, Oh, you know, the floor's, 40% of his median projection. It might actually be a lot lower than that. Yeah. Um, we have him projected no. for 17 DraftKings points. And if he hits that mark, which is, you know, the most likely outcome, you probably are in good shape if you didn't play him. Like you, you probably can, can recover that elsewhere. Assuming there's receivers that go off and you nail them. Stuff yeah. Like or, that. I mean, it's like if Bryson Aline gets to 12, like, right. I mean, Abram yeah. Smith has to score like 30 points to beat right. that score. So um, yeah, that's so, I thought the, like your note on like, you don't want to play three running backs was interesting. I was, I was thinking about it like this morning, last night, I want to say I'm a little more willing to play three running backs this week, just because we have such limited options, but I'm still like, I'm not sure about that. I mean, obviously we know like for the most part in the XFL, these wide receivers have had much better upside. Um, At the same time though, I mean, there's a handful of somewhat compelling running back plays. Um, yeah, I don't know. How, how do you think you want to play like running back overall this week? I probably am going to stay away from three. Yeah. In most cases, I could definitely play two. I have no issues with playing two. Yeah. Um, it's just, I think between Seattle's high pass rate and all their guys, and I like one of the DC guys to do something, I think. And then I think a cheap, like there's going to be a cheap Arlington guy or something that, yeah. that gets in, gets in the optimal lineup. Um, I maybe it is so if you're playing Abram Smith, maybe that's a way to get unique with him is play three running backs, play him, Borgie or Aline and uh Hammonds or Lindsay or 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 Letty Brown, even like something like that. You gotta be just real creative with how you're playing Abram Smith and running backs as a whole. 
Yeah, looking at uh, like industry wide values, if I if I get rid of QB, I mean the entire top ten outside of Aline and Abram Smith um, are wide receivers and tight ends. So, oh, Letty Brown's up there too. But yeah, I do. I don't think three running back will be super popular. I mean, probably the larger uh, in in the larger tournaments, it'll probably be a little less popular. Um, so yeah, that's. I don't know. It's man, it's tough. Um, but yeah, I think, eh, I don't know. I don't, I, I guess I don't really have a super strong lean on how I'm going to play running back. I'll probably, I'll probably mix in all the combos or as much as I can reasonably fit. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about a little bit before we get out of here is in the second showdown slate, the Sunday showdown. Um, I mean, Danucci's going to be like legitimately a hundred percent owned. Tayamu will probably be like 85% owned. Um, do you think it's reasonable to get away from, I mean, Danucci probably not, but either quarterback, I mean, are, is our one QB builds like in, in play very much. It's, it's so hard to see either guy scoring less than 20 DraftKings points. That's, that's my only problem. Yeah. Um, I'm not going off Danucci. There's yeah. just so little outcomes where he's not in that lineup. I think you can do it with Tayamu. In that case, you probably want Abram Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if like a DC one-off makes sense, but not really. We've pretty much seen Tayamu get dragged along enough when one of his receivers plays well. Yeah. Uh, it's, it doesn't feel great. I think you can do it without Tayamu though, but I would probably want Abram Smith in there then. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think, um, maybe, I mean, maybe there's a slight chance Tayamu plays so badly that he gets, he gets benched. Um, that's a risk. Uh, he got beat up pretty badly last time he played Seattle. Maybe he gets hurt. You know, you could kind of play the Derek King angle there. I, for what it's worth, I really don't like King this week nearly as much as I like Cole McDonald for showdown purposes. Um, it feels like King's role has, has really faded in the second half of the season outside of week nine. He's only averaging eight snaps per game. You know, he's live for a goal line touch or whatever, but you know, he's priced up. He's eight K. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, if you are getting rid of Tayamu, it makes it makes more sense to sort of play into the Abram Smith angle. Um, maybe you play like Abram Smith captain with just a ton of Seattle guys and you hope you get the the Abram Smith. Like, what was that? Like the week five game against yep. um, St. Louis or whatever it was. Um, yeah, that's viable for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Chris, any uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Nope, just uh, yeah, try to get different in your life. It's going to be tough this week. Don't be afraid to play one. I mean, we saw... Andrew Jamil, Stephen Mitchell last week be optimal plays. And this week there's even less options. And we, you know, we think we know as much as we do. And it's often not that much. So yeah, just try to get different somehow. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think the final thing that I wanted to go over for for a minute or two was on the two-game slate. Um, and this is something I've always struggled with a little bit, is how do we handle defenses versus opposing players? Um, and like defenses overall, I mean, I think it's probably safe to say that Arlington and Houston, those defenses will soak up Most 80% of, yeah. of ownership. Like they're going to be super popular. Um, so that makes me wonder, I mean, you know, Seattle and DC, we're not anticipating uh, like a great defensive performance from, from either unit. We're, uh, we're anticipating a lot of, a lot of points in that game at the same time though. I mean, a defensive touchdown on a two game slate is, is really all it takes. And those are like completely random. Um, so yeah, if I, if I do go with like the Seattle defense or the DC defense, am I comfortable with, you know, multiple players facing them? I, 
I kind of lean yes at the very least for the uniqueness, not something I want to do a ton of. I mean, obviously, for the most part, you want to maximize your correlations. But uh, yeah, Chris, I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts there. Um, the only thing I'll really avoid is probably playing it against the opposing QB. Um, I think like I think DC's super viable because Danucci's thrown picks before. Uh, maybe he does that again. They they drop it. You generally want to play your defenses against teams that drop back more because it leads to sacks and interceptions. Yeah. So yeah, I could play DC versus Seattle, but not play Danucci, but still play two Seattle receivers, honestly, even and and feel okay with that. Um definitely one is fine. I Seattle's a little trickier because DC is so run heavy. So it's harder for them to be the optimal defense and DC have, you know, a good offensive output because, yeah. because they're running so much, they're going to have to score touchdowns to, to pay off, but you could definitely do it with a DC receiver. I don't know if I would do it versus like Abram Smith though, for example. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe this is a little too galaxy brain, but I do think DC defense versus Danucci on the two game slate is a little live um, just because like he has absolutely no benching risk. And I mean, he could throw a pick six, even two and still drop like three DraftKings points. Right. Yeah. So, and I don't really think you could say that about any other quarterback on the slate. Um, so I don't know. I mean, maybe Tayamu's in that discussion, but I definitely prefer. Yeah. I think, I think the points you made on the DC defense make a ton of sense. Uh, yeah. Because Seattle drops back so much. And I mean, DC super, super aggressive. So to me, it, you know, it kind of feels like they're either going to get totally smoked or, uh, you know, they actually might be able to come up with, you know, a handful of turnovers and, and maybe a touchdown. So, um, yeah, I think yeah. those angles make sense. Yeah, I like that call you had actually with Danucci because he's not going to get benched and no. minus two points if he throws two picks. And if one of those goes for a touchdown, you're now he's got to pass more, even more. So yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, DraftKings scoring is very forgiving for uh, to quarterbacks on on turnovers. So, um yeah, and I, I, may, I don't know. Maybe pick sixes are better for his expectation because it, it puts Seattle <laughs> in a hole, right? So then they have to throw even more. Yeah. Um, but guys, we have talked for an hour about two XFL games. I mean, come on. Is this not like the greatest show in the world? Um, thank you so much for sticking with us throughout the season. It's been a ton of fun. We will be back for the championship game, which actually isn't next weekend. Uh, teams get a two-week break. So the championship game, I believe, is May either May 12th or May 13th. Um, we haven't set a, a date and time for that that final show, but it looks like we will have a special guest. So definitely look forward to our championship game preview out in a couple weeks here. And yeah, hope to see everyone at the top of the leaderboards. Thank you so much for joining the playoff edition of the Fantasy Points XFL. Breakdown. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.